Welcome, travelers, to this week's episode of Dyson Dish. Uh, Sparks Valentine here with Erica Nerdyogi. Heidi Hun. And Foxfire. Hello. And let's go ahead and get into our topics this week. Uh, Erica has our dice to roll, so go ahead and roll that dice. So this is the great episode. So oh yeah, it's the great episode of greats. Yes. So the first topic is Sparks. It is yours. Take it off. Oh. Take it away. My topic this week is what makes a great backstory. It's kind of broad. We've all written backstories for our characters before. Same as like the listeners. So I just kind of wanted to get your opinions on what makes a great backstory. I personally, whenever I do my backstories, it kind of helps finish my character out. It'll kind of help. I'll kind of get like this idea of a character in my mind and think about like, well, what did they do? Like, did she like grow up this way? Did she grow up this way? You know, the dreaded, did her parents die? Is she an orphan? As all great adventurers, their backstory has, uh, my parents died when I was a young age. Uh, or, you know, what did her parents survive? Were they alive? Were they loving parents? Did they want her to become an adventurer? Or did they not? Or did they not know and just think she was going to a music school? But, I don't know, having depth in your backstory is definitely something that I enjoy. So, I'm going to kick it over to Erica. Erica going to go next. Okay. Um, so, kind of touching on a little bit of what you touched on. You know, you what I think makes a great backstory, you want to make sure that you do have something that's unique. Uh, the quote-unquote tragic backstory, like, you know, it's great when you're starting off. That's kind of a good place to start because, you know, it gives you something to show a little bit of, like, you know, there could be trauma, there could be adversity, like, growth as, whether it happened as a child or teenager, a catalyst almost, like, to get your character out, you know, adventuring, making money, stealing, whatever it is. Um, for me, I think that what makes a great backstory is something that you can use as a jumping off point and that's maybe not where your character ends up so you can see growth throughout the campaign from where your character started um what i did with my favorite backstory so far is reginald i started him where he had a minus two in dexterity and he wholeheartedly believed he didn't need to wear armor and so he got hit all the time and now he has figured out I need to wear armor and through mechanics I've bumped his armor to where now he isn't almost dying all the time and that has given him character growth. So you don't just have to think about backstory as something you write out. It also can be mechanics. So you can play with the numbers. You know, maybe like you you have someone who wanted to be a barbarian, but they're not very strong. And they, as the time goes on, they train with like the monk or they train with another barbarian or whoever, your fighter, whatever class it is that mostly uses strength. Um, I know monks can use dex as well in 5e, but you know, whichever way you choose to go with it. 
maybe you show character growth that way. So it always doesn't have to come on a piece of paper like that you hand to your DM. But I do think working with your DM can make your backstory even better, especially if you have a DM who's willing to use your backstory in the in the campaign and maybe bring elements of your backstory into the game, facing NPCs, people from your backstory, or maybe there's someone who helps the party along. I know that Sparks and I have used our backstory to give our characters a tie-in to one another. I was a guard, someone who was very much like, um, like in Game of Thrones. I'm blanking on her name. Like the guard that yeah, Brienne of Tarth. Brienne, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like assigned to be Sparks you know, protector, and then things went wrong, and we had to flee, and it was just me and her, and I had to protect her. So I think that's fun, too. It doesn't always have to be, like, about your childhood. It could be about, like, this one epic moment that pushed you to another character into an adventure together. And um, ticks and quirks are always fun. Maybe there's a reason behind those, but to, to give your character a little bit more depth, you know, like Reginald is now, he's terrified of wood because he saw enemies teleport through trees. So now he's suspicious of tables and barrels. And so that's something that like, you know, you can have your backstory that you start with, but also like you can also build a backstory as you go along because what I would like to do, especially if Reginald doesn't die, Maybe if we ever play 5e again, I age him and come back to him in a different place and time in his life and play him as an old man. And then I have already built that backstory because I played it. So that's what I think makes a great backstory. So I'll throw it to, to Fox. So I'm going to kind of touch on something that you brought up. Working with your DM is one of the most important things to me in building a backstory, um, especially like Erica was saying, if you have a DM that builds their campaign around their characters that will actually work your backstory into everything, it is very important that you get with them and you say, hey, this is what I want my backstory to be. And maybe have a discussion with them on how you want your character to grow later. It doesn't mean that that's necessarily how it's going to happen. Because goodness knows I've had characters over the years that I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to build them this way. And then I ended up building them a completely different way. Just because of stuff that was happening in campaign. But that is one important thing. Always get with your DM and make sure your backstory is going to fit in the world. Because it's all fine and good if you want to have a space dandy ranger flying around. But if space travel doesn't exist in their world... Your, that backstory doesn't really do anything for you. Or you find the theme of the campaign and you work it in that way. I mean, that's kind of like what with um, my character now in our Drakenheim game. I'm a space elf. Like, there's not space travel in it, but in it's not a spoiler, so if you think this is going to be a spoiler, then just you can think about it. Uh, but we a meteor crashes in 
a meteor I mean, it's, crashes. It's not a spoiler. It it's not a spoiler because it's, it's literally <laughs> in the description of the book. A meteor crashes into Drakenheim. So I was like, well, I'm a space elf. So I crashed in with the meteor that hit. And it kind of worked. And I was like, okay. Also, in the backstory that I chose to write for the new character, because that was not character number one, that's character number two, I decided that my character was against all odds with the people that the party is wanting to join up with the most. <laughs> and it's rough. But, hey, it makes it fun, and it kind of gives a great... It gives great roleplay opportunities, especially when one of them sends you a message saying, we know who you are, and you go, new phone, who dis? Like, I don't know, it, it kind of makes it fun. I like playing with backstories, I like playing with just, in general, the amount of backstories that have been written and the amount of pages they have been has been wild. <laughs> Foxfire but, and Erica can both attest to this because they've gotten both backstories from me. <laughs> Many of backstories. But you don't you also don't have to have a long backstory to make it good. You no, can have a very short, simple, and sweet backstory and still have an amazingly engaging character. Yeah, some of us are just neurotic and like once you start writing, it just kind of comes more to you and it just I don't know. I want to touch on one thing that Fox, you had said, I was at a panel and we were talking about world building. That was what the panel was all about. It was a, a world building panel. And we talked about how do you let your players affect your world building? And that's what one thing I brought up was if I get a player who says, hey, I want to be, you know, somebody who who is part of like a... We'll say an example, an Assassin's Guild. Okay, cool. Do you want me to build that guild or do you want to? Like, let the player name it. And who who runs it? Where do you hide out? Let them build that and make sure that at some point, the campaign, I'd hate to say it, not railroad, but they could become like an ally, someone who has a piece of information and allow the players to go back to that key location to one member of the party like they built and it's like oh you know and kind of it makes them especially if you do that with each player it makes them more invested and it's like okay now it's my turn to go to my place to talk to you know my people how can i help the group with my character versus it always feeling like the locations and places are always built by the dm and they hold no weight they have no personal connection to the players or the characters at all. Yeah, That's I will a great say, idea. I will say we kind of did that in your game with my original character being cursed with um, animal features. And yep, I did it with all of you. Yeah. Well, the ones yeah. that sent back were that were willing to participate. <laughs> yeah. No, but Not that was fun. Is. That was fun, though. I mean, that's the first place we went. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm excited. Like, having a character and you go to a town where you know... Well, we didn't get into the very fine details of everybody, what their race was. Like, we didn't get into all of that when we were building it. But it was like we kind of built this area. 
and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to kind of go through it and, you know, what your parents do and, you know, how are they integrated into the society? How is your character in this town? It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I stole that idea of world building from Mask. It's an RPG where you play superheroes and part of the the idea behind creating your characters is, and even like just the before you kind of start playing, you give the players the option to be like, okay, let's make your hideout. Where do you want your hideout to be? So I kind of took that idea and was like, cool, let's do it with every single player. But I mean, not every player was interested because like, you know, that's just not their thing, which is fine, you know, but it does for the people who are interested in that, who do want to do world building and be part of the world, then, you know, I, I think it, I think it makes, it would make me more invested if I had a DM who offered that to me. I haven't had anyone offer it to me yet, but I thought it would be neat. So I, I would say kind of with your, with Reginald, like you gave three backstories. Okay, five. Five. I don't know which one you oh. picked. <laughs> it was just three. I only whichever one had a golden retriever. None. No, I think that was just oh. Erica. None. Oh. <laughs> nope. He was playing off the fact that I said that Reginald looks like a golden retriever. I still don't even know which which backstory he picked because none <laughs> of the ones I wrote or so far have been unveiled. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. But I kind of, I kind of, to know my backstory. I kind of see like that, like taking, you know, what you wrote and kind of what you told him. And he's like, okay, he's like, I'm going to run with it. And he's like, you know, I'll create, he kind of created a little area. Mm -hmm. You didn't know it was yours. (laughs) We, me and Foxfire did. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, we found that book that, told us it was his and then we didn't tell reggie yeah yeah and then we just didn't tell him (laughs) but yeah in that sense it made sense for my character not to say anything i hadn't been with the party long enough and foxfire i just needed to find the right time yeah i just to find the right time yeah Hey, Reginald, yeah. you're an experiment isn't really something you, you tell somebody. You bring up in casual conversation. <laughs> and that's not one of the backstories I wrote. And maybe, and I haven't asked Trevor. I'm going to wait until the end of the campaign. Shout out to Trevor. Um, I'm assuming, I am assuming that he had, he kind of took some liberties with pieces. the backstories that I, I sent him and created his own, which is totally fine. But, yeah. um, or maybe. I sent them to him and I deleted them because that way I couldn't go back and look oh at them. Oh my gosh. So maybe I did say that and I forgot it. I don't really remember that, the option. That I would be hilarious. I know. I'm just like. like but, I remember. Uh, I like remember us talking about it and I yeah. knew you had told me like little bits. You didn't tell me all of it, but you tell me like kind of what each of them, like each of them pertain to. Now, this was, like, almost a year ago. Yeah, that's when we started Dragon Home, yeah. I just, I don't remember if you said anything about an experiment. (laughs) It's the one that I'm, like, trying to think. I'm, like, did I don't think I did, but I could be totally wrong. 
I could be totally wrong, and Trevor is probably listening to this. The saying, "Why, why is Erica saying that that's not what she wrote when I did?" <laughs> I mean, I have memory issues, just like Reginald. So, really, who knows? <laughs> who knows? All right, Trevor does. Yes, All Trevor, right. you are the only one that knows. Comment below, Trevor, if you know. <laughs> oh Lord, Trevor is going to listen to this and be like, "Oh my God." Uh, We're going to bring Trevor on against his will, even if he doesn't <laughs> want to come on. He will blink twice if he needs help. Uh, yes. But I will cut that out probably if he does blink twice. Because he is going to be here of his own free will. I was about to say, you're the editor. You'll just cut it out before anybody sees it. Exactly. Uh, is that everything that we have for that topic, though? I, I have a, a suggestion for DMs out there as far as the backstory goes. It's something that I've done with my most recent campaign, and it's something that another DM did that I tweaked because I didn't like the way they executed it. It's a really great way to get your characters engaged if you let them play out part of their backstory leading up to where the campaign starts. I find that my characters, re or my players rather, really enjoyed getting to play through the backstory that they told me they wanted and flesh it out a little bit more during that. And that's how I do my session zeros now, or how I'm going to after that, because it just worked really well to take them to the side, let them play it out a little bit, and hash it out. Because I, I had a player that literally was just like, I just want to be a demon hunter. My town was destroyed by demons. Okay. Short, simple, let's play through it so you have some actual trauma then. I have a question about that. Okay. So, and I'm not trying to be devil's advocate. This is a, like an honest question. Because I have heard of DMs doing that. Do you give them plot armor? Somewhat. If they okay. do something really, really stupid, like, as an example, one of them literally encountered Bell in their session zero. If that person had run up and tried to hit Bell, then I would have been like, okay, you have two options. You can you can change your mind and not do that, or you can roll up a new character right now. Because you're level one. Yeah. You're I'm, not winning this. I'm just going to exit um, whatever stage. I'm going left. Uh, yeah, no. I kind of caveating off of that. I would say a very gracious advice for DMs. Do not go through a player's backstory without them being there. Agreed. If you can help it, oh, yeah. don't do that character's backstory stuff. Now, if you plan a part of it, and then that character doesn't show up, and it's something that could come up later, and it's related to other things as well. I've had to do that before, but... Well, I, from what I mean is, do not make crucial choices for them Yeah, in their backstory without them being there. Or, or getting feedback, like, hey, I would like to tweak this, are you cool with that? Yeah. 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 Agreed. I think yeah. plot armor for a future topic is definitely like when to use it, when not to kind of stuff. God, we're gonna, it's going to be an anime episode. Plot armor thick. It, all right. That's all I had to say. It was just a, a little thing that I found fun with DMing with character backstories. 
Yeah. Yeah, I've thought about doing that, but the the plot armor thing, that's what scared me cuz I was like, what if somebody died? And so, then it's like So you can there's ways you can get around the plot armor. Like it de- it just depends on the situation. Again, if the player is being just really careless, yeah. Then that's a situation where it's like, look, I'm going to I'm going to level with you. If that's what your character would do, that's what your character would do, but you're gonna die if you do that well um we were talking about fitting okay so this is one thing i do want to throw out there so like the setting i feel like is very important um like since we're throwing out tips for dms make sure when you're doing a special setting you give the players a a decent amount of information. The information about that they need. They need before they write their backstory. Like, hey, we're going to be at this kind of place at this time. These are the things that are happening in the world. These, you know, like we're the, we're going to start playing the old gods of Appalachia, which is, you know, in my heart and soul because that's where we're from, you know. <laughs> but, um, uh, and I've been doing a crap ton of research about the time frame that we're going to be playing in so I can give y'all a rundown on, hey, at this time frame, this was kind of like what to expect if you were in cities or if you were in a holler or, you know, if you're in a prison. This is kind of like, you know, these are the big players, movers and shakers. That way, if somebody does struggle with writing a backstory, if they've never written one, if you could give them a faction to like springboard from, that could help them a lot and just give them a little information about your world. Yeah. Oh yeah. To give a translation for all the non-Southern people that are listening to this, a holler is someplace that is deep in the woods where there is nothing around it. And it's out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) <laughs> just to give a little translation for those that do not speak southern <laughs> it's over yonder it's way over yonder y'all it's way over yonder <laughs> and over yonder means over there of way of way far away but we're not here to translate southern speak is that all that we would like to talk about on this topic? All right, and on to our next topic. Erica, roll the dice. Okay. That is Fox. All right, so that's five things that make a great DM. So I'm going to get my paper that I actually wrote out for once in my life. You took notes? I'm rubbing off I didn't on take you. notes. I wrote five things to make sure I had five and that nice. were the same exact thing. Okay. Hopefully it's so, not the same as what I got. <laughs> so these aren't in any particular order. But um, one thing I think is important for a DM, y- you do need to at least know the basic rules. Don't say, I'm going to DM. I don't know any of the rules at all. Just roll, just roll dice. It's fine. Yes, that can be fun, but it's very chaotic. If you don't at least know the basic rules, then I've, 
I've never encountered it, but I'm going to say it's important because I just picture you're going to encounter an issue where, can I do that with that spell? Well, I don't know the rule behind it. And then you're going to spend time looking it up, or you're going to make a call that you might have to change later. Know your basic rules. As a side note to that, also know when to ignore them. Because not every rule is good for every party. Know what they should be, but don't be beholden to them. Kind of going off of the backstory part of things that I was talking about before with letting them play it out. Listen to your characters, or your players rather. Listen to what they have to say, listen to their feedback, because the DM might run the game, but you it is a cooperative storytelling game when you play a tabletop RPG. The DM might run it, but the players also build it. You need their feedback. You need them to play their characters just as much as they need you to set the stage. Both of you are equally important. Listen to them too. One thing, super important, any DM. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a prep everything to the TDM. I don't ca care if you are a wing it DM. Improv. The most important skill any DM can have. Period. You need to be able to adjust your plans on the fly. Because trust me, at some point while you're DMing, your players are going to throw you for a loop. It will happen. Fourth, any DM out there, any DM, Every session does not have to be better than the last. You don't have to keep one-upping yourself. Period. You need to be content with the story that you and your players are writing. And don't constantly try to one-up it. So, I've, I, I have a friend who was trying to DM. She wrote a really great session. And then she lost all interest in continuing because she thought she had to one-up it. You don't have to one-up yourself. Your story is not finished until it's finished. No TV episode is always going to be a hit. No session is always going to be a hit. Don't try to one-up yourself. Just have fun. And that's the last thing. Most important thing a DM can do is focus on fun. Because it's a game. Focus on fun. Thoughts, statements, your opinions. You took a bunch of mine, so I had to make up new ones. <laughs> <laughs> you took a bunch of mine, but I'm just going to re-say them, and I'm going to add new things onto the end of them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh Making sure the players are having fun. I mean, we are lucky enough we play with our friends. I consider the people I play tabletop games with friends. Some people do not, but that's how I look at it. Uh, if I'm giving you my time, then 
you know, I want to make sure that I'm having fun. Everybody at the table is having fun. So that's a big thing. Just, you know, make sure it is a fun time because time is currency in life. We only get so much time. It's not worth showing up to the table and it's like, oh, okay, well, I don't know what's going on. I don't remember what happened. I don't, I don't know what y'all were doing. Somebody else basically like, and it's just like, you know, or getting mad at your players, like being mean to them because they like outthought you or out moving over an obstacle you put in front of them. And it becomes like an adversarial situation. That's not fun. Like you should reward players for doing that. That's part of it. Like the vibe you walk in and sit down as a DM, you want it to be a vibe of this is a good time. Like I respect your time. You respect mine. Let's have a good time and, you know, roll some dice. Cause at the end of the day, this is a hobby. And if you're not having fun at your hobby, then why are you here? Sparks. Oh, I thought you were going to keep going with yours. No, that's not mine. I was just piggybacking oh. off of what she said about having fun. Oh. That's all. I oh. got new ones. I got different ones. You, oh, I can uh, go on. I can do mine. You want me to do just, mine? Yeah, I'll just go mine. ahead and do yours. Okay. I'll just We're go professionals. Ahead and do mine. Uh, I just want everybody to know yeah. we are professionals. Oh, and... uh, that's, that's your words. I would never claim to be a professional. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, as a DM, um, you know, I don't believe, I, I believe in the Matt Mercer effect, but I also don't believe in the Matt Mercer effect. I believe that Mercer set an, an excellent bar for what a DM can be, but not what they have to be, right? You know, you can steal ideas from other DMs, whether it's him or whatever DM you have, whether they're professional, those people are professionals, right? Or, like, just, you know, like I did, I stole from another system and put it in a different system. You can steal and create your own style. You don't, like, don't be a copycat. You know, take the good from other people and make your own thing. So that's one thing. Uh, two is take notes. Your players will take notes, but you also need to take notes. That NPC you improved. What's their name? What do they look like? What service did they provide? What information did they give? Your players might not have written that down and you had to improv it, so you probably should write it down. The rules lawyer. They serve a purpose. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. I don't have a great uh, memory, as we've discussed. And so, and especially for something, we'll use fifth edition, it's huge now in 2023. I don't know when you're listening to this or watching it, but right now in 2023, fifth edition is huge. I don't know how many races, subclasses, spells, feats, and all that crap there are. I can't remember all of that. So, you know, your rules lawyer can be there to help you, but to because they remember rules real well. But you also like have to know how to handle them when they get out of control. Right, they can help you if you let them, but they also can be an issue. So, know how you're going to handle somebody who is, if they're helping, that's great. If they're hurting and it's constant arguing, it's like you just have to be okay saying, Cool, I'm the DM, that's my ruling, we're moving on, and we are moving on. 
And you can always go back and relook at something later on when you're not taking up game time and be like, hey, you know, last game we did this. I looked it up. We should have done X. We're going to do X from now on. And nobody's going to remember everything. But some people can. And kudos to you. Genetics are on your side. I didn't get those genes. So, fuck off. Um, <laughs> take notes. Don't compare yourself. Attitude. Uh, we talked about attitude. Don't be mean. Don't be an adversarial DM. Right? It's a give and take. You're there to have fun. So, don't be a dick. That's about all I got. Thoughts? I had one and it flew away. I promise. <laughs> Talking about a shit uh, memory. It's a shit memory uh, uh, top of the screen here. But no, I I kind of agree with the like the rules lawyering. I can remember rules very well. I can remember spells. I don't know. My mind is super weird. I noticed somebody that I've seen somewhere and I'm like, oh, that's that person. But can I remember what I did like three days ago? No, but I can remember just weird little things like that. So like rules for systems or spells or, you know, race features or anything like that. I can kind of. I can remember those very well and it can be an issue because somebody says something about their character, what they're doing and you go, Hmm, that don't sound right. But I think it's also with that with if you are really good at rules, you have to kind of pick and choose your battles of, you know, when do you say something or when do you not? Like, oh, well, I said something about this the last time. I don't, I don't want to say it again because I'm going to sound like the bad guy. It, it's one of those, like, if you know the rules and you know the spells really well and you can kind of, you know when something's not right with it, depending on what it is or who it is, kind of determines if you say something or not, if that yeah. makes sense. I agree with you. Like, I just um, try to keep it fair, I guess, because I know I'll call my own bullshit out. But if somebody else is trying to pull some and it's like, well, you know, I am not pulling it out. Like, I'm keeping, like, I'm calling my bullshit out. So are they just not going to, like, kind of call theirs out? Or, you know, I try to be fair across the board. Yeah. Like, not just, I don't want us just to have an unfair advantage as players because I, the DM forgot that, you know, this would have happened if that, um, I always try to remind them like, Hey, you know, they get to do this. Like if it's like a save, they get to make on their turn. Like, Oh, Hey, they get to make a save. Some people won't do that. And then I know people are going to be like, well, you know, if the DM just forgets and that's good luck on you. Yeah. But it's not fair. Like. It's one of those, you know, yeah, we're playing in this game to have fun, but it's also everybody needs to be fair. Like, the DM doesn't have a lot of those awesome moments, especially in 5th edition, to kill players. But it's like, you know, whenever they maybe have an opportunity that it's like it could cost them major damage, and then, you know, maybe they don't get that opportunity because you were just like, I'm not going to say anything. 
Because I don't want them to do that. So that won't hurt my character. Yeah, I and I and I guess that's kind of like a what a lot of people's thoughts are about it. But I'm like, you try to be fair across the board for everybody. Be fair for players, and then you know, give the DM their leeway. Have fun and kill somebody. That is uh, not us endorsing DMs murdering players no. wantonly. That is just us saying death happens in tabletop yeah. games. Characters, not players. We do not con- condone. Oh, my yeah. thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know what? No. no. Thoughts are okay as long as they remain thoughts. Kind of makes you a psychopath. Slippery but, slope. Um, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. So I'll, uh, unless you have any more thoughts or opinions, Fox. <laughs> Don't worry. I've never had them about any of you. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Do you have any other thoughts on Erica's Fox or am I good to go on to my five? No, you pretty much said, uh, I, I remembered my idea and it was pretty much what you said. So. Okay, it came uh, back. I, I it flew back. Okay. So, number one, obviously, and mine are going to be ranked. So, number one is, most importantly, for the DM, like, have fun. Fun is kind of like a general topic that, like, each one of our lists have. Because it is one of the things, like, you know, if the DM's not having fun, more than likely your players aren't having fun. So, you need to have fun. That's number one. Number two is I think it's important for a DM to be a little creative in their mindset because it kind of plays into that improv kind of area as well. But being creative, you know, so a player does something, you know, you have to think light on your feet, kind of be creative about it. Or, you know, if you have players that aren't that flamboyant or... I can't think of the word I'm thinking of, but they don't make their, like, they go to attack, and they just go, I hit. I swing my sword. Like, you know, kind of play around with that. Be a little creative, you know. Explain, like, how how their action goes. They run up as they take their sword and, you know, lift it up in the air. You swing down, and as you swing, you know, all that, you know, that bullshit make it extra you know kind of be creative and make it a little extra uh three is be very forthcoming with information but know when to leave some out if that makes sense like in fifth edition is probably one of the hardest kind of information wise players gathering information because you know it's behind a roll it's behind a check i would say probably so many story beats we could have missed as players in both fox's game and erica's game is because of a roll i would say just because it's one of those it's to the luck of the dice. Do you find out what this is about or not? And it's like, well, if it's kind of in something important to the game, the story and nobody gets it, you're kind of just like, well, that sucks. I guess that's going to be come back at a later date, maybe, or it's just not going to happen. 
So being more forthcoming with information, I think is something, you know, if it's the general idea of it, then yeah, just give it. But if they want something extra, they're like, give me it. They're like, deal it out to me. Then that's when you go, okay, roll to see if you know more. Or roll to see if you see any more fine details. Number four, I would say, would be, would be prep, probably. Don't come to the table not having any idea what you're doing or where you're at. <laughs> because, you know, your players, yeah, they could have taken notes, but you shouldn't rely on them to tell you where you're at and what happened. You should at least have some knowledge of it. Prep a little bit. And number five, I would say just somebody that's open to new ideas or new, just something new. You know, if a player comes at you with, you know, crazy backstory, you know, kind of be open to it. Be like, yeah, sure. I'll read it. And then once you read over it, if you have anything you need to change, it's one of those, you just have a conversation. And I think, I think a DM being open and open to new things, open to new ideas is something that I kind of see as like makes a great DM thoughts. I don't like when DMs a player says, Hey, I want to try this. Okay. No, you can't. You're not allowed. I don't like that. Like, it's very much, and this is just my opinion, it's very much like a parent looking at a child and saying, because I said so. Now, I'm not a parent, so, you know, but I know that my parents said that a lot to me when I was growing up, and I always wanted Bam. them to explain to me, okay, I can't do that, but why can't I? Like, if your players want to do something, and I'm talking about within reason, not like, I want to try and shoot my arrow to the moon. Mechanically, that doesn't work. You know what I mean? They're, at least give them the illusion that they can try and fail. And instead of just slamming the door in their face, or if it's not possible, explain to them why it's not possible. Because, in and this is just me, and I think we've talked about this before. One reason why TTRPGs are so much fun is choice. And if you are constantly saying, no, you can't. No, that's not allowed. No, no, no. Then players are going to give up and they're not going to want to try and do anything. They're just going to be like, okay, well, what do you want me to do now? And taking away their choice constantly is not going to make you a great DM. So even so, even if it's just the illusion of choice, give them that. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I think that's definitely something to think about. Um, like you said, you don't have to necessarily allow them to do everything. Oh, I want my gnome to just, my gnome fighter to just fly to the moon. Yeah, that's, you're, you're going to need to do some extra stuff for that to work. You can't just jump and fly to the moon. But if it's something like, oh, I want to, I want my barbarian to start learning how to make potions. Okay, 
that's doable. Here's how you go about doing it. Try with that intelligence dump stat most of them have. <laughs> but you can at least let them try. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, that's okay, cool. It's going to take you three times as long as it would the druid, and you're going to have to study with somebody, and it's going to cost you money in your downtime. But you surely can try. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and so in my current game I'm running, I let them train. If they want to train a stat, tell me how you're doing it, and you're going to roll for experience for that stat. You can eventually get that stat up. So it's it's just one of those things to consider. Like, don't just immediately shoot them down, like you were saying. If it's a possibility to happen, let them try. Exactly. And if it's not, explain why. Well, mechanically, yeah. it, it doesn't work. Or, you know, this, because you did X. And they have Y in their backstory. Like, give the, the players a reason, at least. Don't just slam the door. Yeah. Does anybody else have anything on the five things that make a great DM they would like to speak about? No. All right. We're on to our last topic. And that is yours. Oh. For the first time in Dyson Dish history, Erica's topic <laughs> is last. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness usually they're always in my favor no i'm just playing i actually just got these dice they're new they're candle obscura i'm wearing my caduceus shirt as you can tell i'm a critical role fan and i don't care if you don't like that about most me. of us i think <laughs> me and eric definitely are fox is a little I, on that like outskirt of like yeah i like I them don't. but I don't dislike them. I am just so insanely behind on the podcast. I cannot That's consider okay. myself a fan. I love the it's animated okay. series. That's Hell just yeah, fine. it's great. That's just Go fine. watch Fox Machina. Yep. <laughs> um, so what makes a great dungeon? I love dungeons. That's one reason why I play Dungeon Crawl Classic. Wonder what it's made of. Hmm. Um, I think that... so. To you, what makes a great dungeon? To me, things that make great dungeons is a cool location. Combat that is, that is, uh, the encounters aren't just like, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. There's something that uses the dungeon to make them more cinematic. Um, I think mystery in the dungeon is interesting. Like, why is this place here? Why has it been abandoned? You know, give it some, give the location some backstory. You know, we've been talking about backstory for your characters, backstory for your dungeon. I think that is important. There is a, um, I don't remember what dungeon it is, but it is a, it's a, it's one of the dungeons for Dungeon Crawl Classics. And I and I just like lost it when I read this because I read their their modules even if I'm not running them I just read them like during my downtime just to try and increase like my knowledge of dungeons and building them and making mine better. There was a bridge, and when the players run across the bridge, there's bells underneath it. So it the noise attracts things from all around and I was just like that's genius I mean something so tiny I would never have thought to put bells underneath a, a bridge to alert the things around it as a trap um 
I know that's kind of like seems kind of silly, but I liked that. Uh, NPCs, I think there should be NPCs to run into. It's not just like, you know, open the door, uh, kill, loot, rinse, and repeat, making sure it's not just linear. It's just door, hallway, door. Loot is very important. Usually loot can drive players to investigate. It can drive them to the next room. It drive them to continue on. Maybe if they think the boss has a really big piece of loot, it gives them incentive to continue when they keep getting, you know, taking trap damage and puzzles explode in their faces and stuff like that. So to me, those are important key features of a good dungeon. So I'll let y'all kind of talk about what are some key features you think make a great dungeon? Whoever wants to talk. I'll actually I'll pick. I want to let Sparks go first. I don't know why you picked the wrong person to go first. I don't like dungeons. I'm gonna say it now. I hate them. That's They're all. awful. And but preface with saying that. Hold on. Can you tell us why you don't like dungeons? First? I just don't like dungeons. I I am not a fan of combat, why? but I don't know. I think it's just being stuck in a singular place, and that's the only place you're at. You have nothing else you can really do except go to the next room. Oh, that room has no other way out. Let me backtrack. I even I don't even like that in video games. It is the one thing yeah. that I am like. I don't like to backtrack a lot, and so I don't more know linear why. Dungeon is appealing to you. Yeah. I would say so if it's not eight months of just one fucking dungeon. <laughs> if it's not so eight no mega months, no mega, no dungeon. mega dungeons. <laughs> well, okay, okay. <laughs> I, it may be that I just have not been able. I've not played in a dungeon that gives me what I want in tabletop games. One choice, two role play, three can have a little combat. But it's like most of the time, whenever you're in these dungeons, you don't have that opportunity to meet new characters, to role play. A lot of the times when you're in a group that's like that, it's nobody wants to role play their characters. They're just like, go to the next room, kill, kill, kill. Go to the next room, kill, kill, loot. And it's like, yeah, but that, I don't know. But if, you know, if there was a mixture of, you know, you had, you know, somehow you're in this dungeon and then a magically something pops up and it's like a, like a tavern or like, you know, a little like bar or something and it's like oh it kind of gives it a little bit more than just go in stab stab go in stab stab go in oh look it's a loot room loot 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 and then you know i don't know i'm gonna get reamed by all the dungeon crawl classic people all the people that love dungeons they're gonna be like this stupid bitch spouting their opinion about about the dungeon good old dungeons and that is my opinion on dungeons. Fox, would you like to go next? <laughs> so, if you're going to get reamed, I probably will too. I am also not a fan of dungeons. I think they have their place in the game. I think they are great sometimes. And I think they can be executed very well. When they have interesting mechanics like the bell idea that Erica was talking about. When I do run dungeons, I love to put traps in them. I, I don't like you just to have enemy encounters, 
especially if you have something like, say, kobolds who are known for building traps, build traps. Uh, when you have your boss, give them lair actions. Those are super fun for both the DM and sometimes the players. Sometimes the players just get mad at you. When you keep picking their character up and dropping them in a different room. If your dungeon is just vanilla and it's just go room, kill one or two things, go back, go next room, then nobody's going to have fun, in my opinion. But if you have, like Erica and Sparks were saying, interesting locales, there's interesting things going on, there's an interesting backstory, you have a good reason for being there. And then you have things that break up the combat. It's not as bad. But I also am not the person that wants to spend, like Sparks, eight months in a dungeon. We did that. Not my thing. I'm a roleplay person, not a combat person. I think, because I know, Erica, you had talked about in a game you were in, the, the Radiant Citadel, or what was it called? Scarlet Citadel. Scarlet Citadel. It's a mega dungeon. But, but we go back and forth. Exactly. We so like if, I, yeah. if there was something like that, I would be okay with the dungeon. An option to where I could leave. Cause then you kind of get that fix. And then you go in, you're like, kill, 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 and then you come back. And it's like it's one of those time and place. And also, is there an option to leave said dungeon to be able to do other things other than oh Stab, 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 kill, 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 sleep, get back up, do it all over again. So there is a, um, there's a, a dungeon. So it's a five room dungeon and it's like a model that you can use. If you Google like five room dungeon, you'll find it. I can't remember the guy who created it. And it's actually like, it tells you like room two is your entrance and it should have a guardian. Room two, I'm sorry, room one is your entrance, it should have a guardian. Room two is puzzle or an RP opportunity. So you can put an NPC in there for people who are like Sparks and like Fox. They have someone to talk to. Room three is a trick or a setback. Room four is a climax, big battle or conflict. And room five is a reward or a plot twist. So that's if you have someone who's playing in your game who is more uh, doesn't like big dungeons, you could actually use the five dungeon, the five room dungeon method to build a very short dungeon for your players who don't like big dungeons. Just throwing it out there as like a DM tip. Yeah, I would say like dungeons in a one shot or, you know, like a couple like sessions isn't bad. Like yeah. that's not that's not the bad thing. It's, it's the, when your it's when your whole campaign is nothing but dungeon and there's literally nothing else. Literally, and you're like, okay, we're gonna have this combat for three hours, and then we're gonna move to the next one and start another one for the last hour that we play, and then it's like, well, what else can we I do? I just Go remember ahead. I just remember when we did the mega dungeon, it literally got to the point where one of the players was just like, open the room, nothing in there, cool. Go to the next one. Open the room. I think we were all like that. I I, I just, I remember that so clearly because... Tales from the Borderlands. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't remember that. Okay, that, okay, I remember Yeah, I couldn't think of the module name, but it was... Because I think, I think at that point we were just like, 
We were literally just sitting, and Trevor was running this one. I think we scared him so bad. I think because we he did picked too. To run because a mega none of us liked the dungeon. First, well, he picked a mega dungeon to run for his first time, and it was like we were like, "All right, Trevor, is there anything important in this room? Yes or no? No. Okay. Next room. Is there anything important in this room? But it had also it had been what six, seven, eight months." It had been quite a while, and we still hadn't gotten to where we needed to go. And we weren't getting through everything. It was also in the height of COVID. We were playing online. It's the first time we were playing online. Well, and I also think, and that's part of, like, what makes a great dungeon, right? Like, rooms. A lot of people will tell you, do not put an empty room in your dungeon. You should have an empty room in your dungeon, at least one, a level, because your players need somewhere to rest. Depending on what system you're playing, you know, like 5e, you need a room to rest in. Because if you don't, then players are going to get, um, they're going to get to where they, they're going to want to rest. And like, because they're going to be like, we need to rest. I burned all my crap because combat takes three hours. You know, but then like something more like DCC, it does, even if you rest, it's like, cool, we get a hit point back. Awesome. Why even take the time to rest? So I do think like a room of rest in 5e is important. A room in a rest in DCC probably isn't. I think maybe uh, like Morkborg, I think longer dungeons in a system that's like Morkborg, the pace of combat doesn't take as long. So you can make it a bigger dungeon for you know, people who don't really like a lot of combat and you want it to be fast and you can get through a big dungeon in a small amount of time. But I do agree, like, a mega dungeon, I've been playing Scarlet Citadel for, we played it for a good, I think, year, 14 months, I want to say, maybe 15. And we were constantly going in and leaving. Cool. What do we do? We leave. We go in. We leave. We go in. And it did have a nice break because when we went to town, we did most of our role play. And when we were in the dungeon, we didn't do any role play. We just did combat. So it does give you a nice balance. Yeah. Does anybody else have I like to dungeons. Say? I'm yeah, sorry that y'all don't like dungeons. <laughs> Again, dungeons have their place. Time and place. Time and place. But I don't want a whole campaign focused on a dungeon. I'm no. sorry. No. Mm -mm. Can't do it. Good to know. So I don't need to build a mega dungeon for y'all. Your mega dungeon. See, here's the thing. We played through me and Fox. It was literally just us two. We played through, uh, what was it? It was. Was it Tomb of Annihilation? No. Or Tomb of Horrors. Tomb of Horrors. I always switch them. It's one of them, yeah. I think it's Tomb of Horrors. Tomb of Annihilation is a full module campaign. Tomb of Horrors is right. the one that's the little yeah, bit. I area. always get the two mixed up. Yeah. But like whenever we played through that, because that is dungeon, basically, pretty much. Yeah. That's it. Me and Fox made it fun because we role played with each other. And but it see, was like, you know, we were and they didn't use the ducks. Don't use the ducks. That was so long ago. I do not it, fucking I remember don't that remember at all. I what you're talking about with using the ducks. I remember so, that we got naked and swapped genders for I a do minute. remember that. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the dungeon. The so, um, so if you want to cheat at Tomb of Horrors, 
you can actually use a herd oh, of ducks and send to them set the traps the first, off to send the down the first main hallway and it'll set off a bunch of traps it's a cheat way of or even like it's you know or you can use dogs or whatever because like at my dcc game we've been playing crypt of the devil lich and they were talking about maybe we should get like somebody had said oh we get a bunch of dogs and we use them in the dungeon. I was like, we're not killing dogs oh to get you through this dungeon. I'm not but doing geese. that. You know, that that's not, we're not doing that. That is a hard no as a dungeon master. Sacrificing animals for your characters to live. And I feel like that's on the ground of morals. But, so but I, <laughs> wait, hang on. Wait, but wait. But if you're a druid, this is a 5e. You conjure there's magical. No, there's no druids you in DCC. Yes, I know, but I'm talking about in fifth edition. <laughs> you conjure magical animals that don't have bodies, technically. So when they die, it's just magic and they just go away. Because when but you do Tomb of Horrors, you're what, like level 15? You could do that as a druid. Or what about other spellcasters that have Find Familiar? Yeah, exactly. I don't know what is fifth edition. Because we were like level 15, I think, weren't we, Fox? Yeah, when we were doing it, we were like... I wonder 15. if I still have the character sheet. Hang on. I, I do. I just know. don't remember which one it was. It's turning into... Uh, but uh, It says, Two of Horrors by Gary Gagax, originally published 1978. And that setting, or that system, I guess you would say, it was character levels 10 to 14. So I'd say that probably... In five I think we were 15 yeah, because we were be. just the uh, two of us. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. We did bump it a little bit because it was just the two of y'all. Just yeah. But just I will I will add to Sparks' us. statement by saying it also does depend on your party. It really yeah. does. Yeah. So for me, if I can get my role play in, I'm going to be a happy camper. But if it's just constantly, what's in this room? Oh, nothing. Okay. What's in this room? Okay. Combat. Three hours for combat. Not fun. Yeah, so just keep that in mind. Uh, what makes a great dungeon? Build the dungeon to fit the playstyle of your players. Also, if you're going to run a one-shot and it's a dungeon, maybe you should tell your players that it's a dungeon. That too. Just so that way yeah, they can, so you know, create characters that work for it. Bring some dungeoneering like, supplies. Yeah, dungeon sure. explorer kit. Yeah, dungeon kit. Yeah, gotta well, make sure you got your chalk and flour. Yeah. And your long stick. Yeah, your 10 foot pole. Your spear. Your pole. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, does anybody cool. else have anything to say on what makes a great dungeon? No. No, I think this has been a great episode. It's been the greatest it's episode. Been so great. Oh my gosh. It's the episode of greats. Well, uh, we hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTubes and also to follow our podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts should be there. If not, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Get one of those. That's the best thing I can tell you. Uh, yes, anybody have anything else to say before we sign off? Don't right. kill ducks. Yes, PSA, do not or kill dogs. ducks. Or dogs. Yes. Uh, well, we hope you enjoy and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
Hey travelers, Sparks here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dice and Dish. Um, if you are listening over on Apple Music and Spotify, please make sure that you hit that subscribe button on there to know whenever a new episode goes live. And if you are watching this over on YouTube, make sure to hit that subscribe button and comment down below uh, what you would like to hear us talk about in a future video. Um, hopefully, um, we'll talk about it soon. So, yeah, um, our next episode is going to be out on um, November 17th. So, make sure to be out for the lookout for that. And, yeah, so I hope you guys have a great weekend. Goodbye.